0: Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church
1: of Baton Rouge podcast.
0: Malcolm Gladwell tells the story of a modern day David and Goliath. He writes about Vivek Renadive, who decided to coach his daughter Angelie's basketball team, made up mostly of 12 year olds. Before I go any further, I should encourage those joining us by social media. It's a lengthy story. So stick with us. It's powerful, and it's revealing. Well, Vivek who was from Mumbai, India, became coach of his daughter's basketball team, made up of 12-year-olds. He was puzzled, he says, by the way Americans play basketball. He said, I will never forget the first time I watched a basketball game. He said he thought it was mindless. Team A would score and then immediately retreat to its own end of the court. Team B would inbound the ball and dribble it into team A's end where team A was waiting patiently. Then the process would reverse itself. He said, now a basketball court is 94 feet long, but most of the time, a team defended only about 24 feet of that, conceding the other 70 feet. Occasionally, a team will full-court press challenging the ball being moved forward to the other end of the court. But most of the time, it's just a few minutes of press. He says, it's as if there were a kind of conspiracy in the basketball world about the way the game ought to be played. And Renadive thought that the conspiracy had the effect of widening the gap between the weak teams and the good teams. He said, the good teams are tall. They can dribble, they can shoot, they can crisply execute their carefully prepared plays in their opponent's side of the court. Why, he says, why did the weak team play in such a way to make it easy for the good team to do the very things that made them a good team? Now, Renadive's girls were a weak team. He said they never really played basketball before. They weren't that tall, they couldn't shoot. They weren't very good at dribbling, and they weren't the kind of girls who would play pickup games in the park. Most of them, he says, were little blonde girls from the heart of Silicon Valley. They were the daughters of computer programmers, people with graduate degrees. They were working on science projects, reading books, and going on ski retreats with their parents, and dreaming about growing up to be marine biologists. Renadive knew that if they had played conventional, acceptable, traditional basketball, that is, if they let their opponents dribble the ball up the court without being challenged, they would almost certainly lose the games to the very good teams. And yet, get this, and yet Renadive's little David underdog girls basketball team ended up in the California State Championship. Why? How? Much like David's five smooth stones, that coach chose to fight that Goliath team unconventionally. He would play full court press every game all the time. As a software engineer, he studied opponents. Turns out those Goliath teams played as though everyone played by the same rules, as though there was an assumed rule every team had to play by. The point guard dribbled the ball up the court. He stood above the top of the key about 24 feet from the opposing team's basket. He called out a play that the team had choreographed and practiced for hundreds of times, and then the defense. The only time that they would spring into action would challenge the offense and challenge the shot. He said actual basketball took up only half of the 20-second interval that the game's real length was played. He said that it took only 20 minutes of play rather than 48 minutes. 24 minutes of activity took place in that small area. He says it was as formal and as convention-bound as an 18th-century square dance. The Goliaths, conventional defensive players, had to run back to their own end, compose themselves for the arrival of the other team. But in composing themselves, in retreating, they allowed the offense plenty of time and space to prepare for their attack, to execute a play they had been practicing to perfection. Renadeva's version of those five smooth stones, his unconventional weaponry, were just two. First, his team would challenge the inbound pass instead of retreating back to their side, which only gave teams time to prepare their attack. As the Little Davids, his team would not play as expected by the conventional rules. Instead, they would steal the inbound pass. And if that failed, they would prevent these Goliath teams from crossing the half-court line in time and they would get the turnover listen to this passage again and it happened as the philistine goliath arose and was drawing near david that david hastened he hurried and ran out from the lines toward the philistine and then he reached his hand into his pouch pulled out a smooth stone put it into his sling slung it struck the Philistine in the head. That sentence about the slingshot, that's what makes David famous. But the first sentence is just as important. David hastened, he hurried, he ran out toward the Philistine. David broke the rhythm of his encounter. He speeded up the play. He surprised the giant. In the book, The Life of David, poet critic Robert Pinsky writes this The sudden astonishment when David springs forward must have frozen Goliath, making him a better target. Pinsky calls David a point guard ready to flick the basketball here or there. That is, David pressed. He changed the rules of the play. He broke the rhythm. And that's the first thing that little Davids do to defeat the big Goliaths. Grenadive's second stone was to take his fifth player off the inbound passer and put her roving around to prevent. The pass or to steal it. The usual result, he said, would be panic. The passer would fear not being able to get the ball in in time, would turn it over or call a timeout. And if she did th- throw a desperate pass, it would be stolen. Or somehow it got in his little Davids basketball team would trap the player and cause a turnover he said, this we would press and steal and do that over and over again it made people so nervous there were teams that were a lot better than us that had been playing a long time and we would beat them it worked because they typically found themselves with the ball underneath their opponent's basket They didn't have to have skill to shoot it from a distance. They just laid it up and they won. One of his players says, what that defense did for us is that we could hide our weaknesses. They didn't have the skills of those Goliath teams. They didn't have outside shooters, they weren't tall, they were not good at dribbling, but they were good at hustling, pressing, the art of surprise, good at playing by a different set of rules. David and Goliath. There are a few stories in the Bible that capture the imagination as the story of David and Goliath. We have two armies facing off. An ancient Bay of Pigs showdown. Both armies put forth their most fearsome warriors for a battle that would decide which country would serve the other. High stakes. No less than gambling with God's gift, Israel itself. On one side, the bad guys. Bad guys to us, anyway. On one side, the bad guys. On the other side, the good guys. The bad side had a giant of a warrior, Goliath. The good side had a little shepherd boy. We know how it ends. David, the unlikely hero, a clear underdog in the story, armed simply with a slingshot in five smooth river stones, defeats the terrible Philistine Goliath. Now you may recall last week's sermon. We talked about the unlikely call of David as King of Israel. It was about what really matters. And what really matters, we remember from last week, is not the appearance, but the heart. In our world, age matters. Strength matters. Physical capability matters. Appearance matters when it comes to wars and battles. Weapons matter. Military expertise matters. Everything the Goliaths of this world seek to defeat. Little Davids. But these do not matter to God. We love these underdog stories, don't we? I once had a friend tell me I look like the underdog main character of that movie called Rudy. Maybe you saw it. I hadn't seen it, so I said, I better go watch myself, I guess. I went to watch this story, true story, about a young man who was ridiculed for having no football skills, and yet he refused to be denied his dream of playing for the University of Notre Dame, which he did. And then there's that true story turned movie about the underdog Hoosiers, and the movie Karate Kid, and Cinderella Man, and Million Dollar Baby. You just Google underdog movies and you'll get a hundred of examples. We love the underdog story, don't we? March Madness, NCAA basketball tournament, played every year in, well in March. March Madness, 2013, Florida Gulf Coast Eagles led by second-year head coach Andy Enfield, in the, only the second year of their full NCAA eligibility, won the Atlantic Coast Tournament by beating my alma mater. I wasn't pulling for them. I was pulling for my alma mater, Mercer University Bears. But soon I was pulling for the Eagles. They got their first ever bid to the NCAA tournament. They entered as a 15-seed. That's near the very bottom of 64 teams. Their first game was against college basketball Goliath, number two-seeded Georgetown Hoyas, whom they beat 78 to 68. The third time in two years, And the seventh time ever that a 15 seed team beat a second seed. Next, they played a Goliath, number seven seed San Diego State, whom they beat 81 to 71. And with that, the Eagles became the first 15 seeded team ever to advance to the Sweet 16. From near the bottom of 64 teams, among the best. 16 but the Eagles lost to Florida 62 to 50 however they finished with a great record and they won the ESPY that year the excellence in sports performance yearly they got best upset it was thrilling thrilling for all those not pulling for the Hoyas or San Diego State but it seemed the whole country was pulling for the underdog. We love those stories. Even Jewish people, Christians, they know this story, but those who don't know the story, who've never read their Bible, know what it means when you say David and Goliath. The little guy beats the big guy. David was just a boy. He was only a shepherd. King Saul offered him the warrior's traditional, conventional armor and weaponry. Everyone, even Goliath himself, was certain that David would play by those conventional rules of battle, right? Which is why Goliath taunts David. He says, come to me which means he expects a hand-to-hand battle, a close-up battle. Goliaths are used to playing by their rules. He was used to a hand-to-hand combat up close, which as a giant of a man was to his advantage. David knew that. And King Saul also assumed that David would play by those conventional rules, up close with Goliath, handing this little boy a soldier's big sword and heavy armor. He wasn't used to that. Like Renadive's underdog basketball team, battling Goliath hand to hand would expose David's weakness. So David tells King Saul, He has no intention of doing battle with Goliath in such an expected, conventional way. Instead, he said, I will fight him like I fight wild animals when I'm protecting my sheep. As I fought bears and lions, he would bring a shepherd's rule to the battlefield. Therefore, without armor, without a heavy sword, light, unburdened. With only a sling and a few stones, David hastens. He runs. Runs toward this giant. Stops, grabs a stone, puts it in a sling, sticks it in the forehead. You know the rest. He wins. Historian Robert Dorwin remarks that Goliath has as much a chance against David as any Bronze Age warrior with a sword would have had against someone using a 45 automatic pistol. That's how fast that stone came. Let's remember why little David defeated giant Goliath. Why the underdog wins. Two reasons. And they're worth our attention as we encounter the Goliaths in our life. The first reason David won, well, as you know, Goliaths make the rules. Come to me come to me as a warrior is supposed to, Goliath's rules. And when we have to play by the bully's terms, they win. But David did not play according to the bully's terms. But the second reason Bobby mentioned with the children David said, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Why do we love underdog stories? I'll tell you why. Because God loves underdog stories. Now, I think there are many theories. One could be, there's a German word for it, schadenfreude. Is that we root for underdogs because we have this bizarre enjoyment of others' misfortunes. Come on, you've enjoyed the misfortunes of others. Don't we who sometimes feel powerless, like the underdogs, we enjoy the misfortunes of the big and powerful? Don't we want the world to be just? Are we pulling for fairness? We want to believe that we, too, might enjoy the victory over the powerful forces that threaten our lives. Now, by the way, Vivek Renavide came to America as a 17-year-old with $50 in his pocket, a little David among the giant rich Goliaths. Today, do you know today he's worth over 700 million dollars? We love these stories because they give us hope too that we might enjoy a victory over the powerful forces that threaten us. This is more than just an underdog story. It's also a story about bold and courageous faithfulness to God. We can actually measure ourselves against David to learn his lesson that God leads. Are we as trusting in God as He? Are we as bold and courageous in our faithfulness as David? Are we as confident in our God's ability as He? And are we willing to buck the conventional rules, the losing ways as David? Ultimately, he wins by not playing by the bully's rules and by courageously trusting in God's faithfulness. Do you have a Goliath in your life? Is it an issue? relationship? An illness? Has something big brought a fight to you? Is your Goliath trying to control you through fear? Know this, your Goliath expects you to fight their way according to their rules, according to the conventions of their ways. Try this, do what David did. Let God lead if you let God lead, then that Goliath cannot control you. And you won't be scared. And ultimately, you'll be defeated. This is what happens when God leads. And often it's amazing, it's astonishing and surprising. Oftentimes it's through the least expected. More often than not, it shows up in a child a shepherd boy a baby in a manger but whatever it is when God leads somehow we find we're able to accomplish more than what the world says we can because the one who ultimately matters is with us and will guide us. Let's pray. He isn't a Philistine warrior, Lord, but each of us faces these Goliaths. Cancer. illness, loss of work, addictions, broken relationships. God, give us the strength to trust you, play by your rules, pray you will release us, release the fear, and defeat that enemy. In Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast.
1: Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app. Or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Broadmoor Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.